want to talk to you today about a man that loved Jesus and that served him to the very end. With no bitterness, there was no grudge in his heart, but just the love of Jesus and forgiveness. And I know that that's how we have to walk as Christians. So I'll share with you from Acts chapter chapter 7. And I will read from the latter part of verse 52. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Each time I read this account of our brother Stephen, my heart says, Lord, there was a servant of yours who loved you to the very end. Even as he proclaimed the gospel, and yet they turned on him. And he didn't say, Lord, remember, remember them. Remember what they're doing. But he came and he walked in the very shoes of Jesus. And he said, Lord, forgive them. See, this was the same thing that Jesus did when he died on the cross. After he proclaimed the news and he said, repent, believe the good news of the gospel. And then he was crucified. His words were, Lord, forgive them because they know not what they do. And then he said, Lord, receive my spirit. Same thing Stephen did. And I marvel, and I marvel at this. And I said, Lord, am I walking that way? Can I be true to you, Jesus? After I've labored for you with all of my strength, believing well that maybe somebody may, will say, yes, <laughs> I believe you. But what if no one does? And they come against me with such harsh words. Is there a part of my heart that will rise up and say, Lord, look what they're doing. Don't let them go. Go after them. I know we all have to be honest. When someone steps on our toes, 
What do we run into the prayer closet and say to Jesus? Do we go and say, Lord, set them straight? I know what your word says, but they don't. I encourage you. Let's follow Stephen toward death as he followed Jesus to his death. When we can get to a place in our hearts, when someone steps on our toes, slaps us in the face, dishonors us, shames us, that we can say, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I believe that Jesus honored Stephen's prayer because there was one man named Saul that was a witness and a party to stoning Stephen that the Lord rescued We have no idea what Jesus will do and how he'll respond to our prayers of entreaty for another one when we take that road of humility and say, Lord, forgive them. I'm not going to rise up. So I encourage you today, let's be a brother to Stephen and a brother to Jesus as the church. I welcome you today to the National Prayer Chapel. Words of life. Words of life. Almighty God, let my words be few, but genuine. Let your word come to our hearts and accomplish their purpose. that we might walk from this house convicted, washed, and made clean by your blood and the word you would speak to us. You said to the disciples, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Let the word spoken today make us clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I was given tickets to a concert. They were VIP tickets, which meant that during the intermission, I was welcome to come backstage for refreshments and to meet the performers. It was a Southern Gospel concert. One woman in particular drew my heart. And I sat as she sang, and tears flowed down my face. I was deeply convicted by her music. So as soon as the intermission came, I made a beeline for her backstage. And I immediately said to her, Thank you for your music. Would you talk to me about your walk with Jesus? And she said, oh, sir, that was a performance. That's not my walk. And I turned and left, and I left the concert. There's a grave concern in my heart today that I have been observing among us at the prayer chapel and among other Christians, and that is, 
that we can come and listen to a very sobering word of God. We can sit together in a prayer meeting and read the scriptures. And then when we are dismissed, the conversation totally shifts. And now we begin to talk about every foolish thing that will flow out of our hearts. The conviction seems to immediately be gone. There's no praying with one another. There's no praying for one another. It's over. The show's over. The program's over. Go back to your normal life. Go back to sleep. What you heard warmed your heart. What you heard convicted your spirit. The same as it would if you went to the Kennedy Center and you went to one of these wonderful dramas where you are inspired and cry a little and laugh a little. And then you go out and everybody is, let's go get some ice cream, guys. Let's drop by Georgetown. Let's, let's do something. Wasn't that a great play? Yeah, I loved it. Particularly this. And off they go. This is exceedingly dangerous for us because it means that when we leave the service where there is the presence of God and our hearts have been convicted and we walk away and we go immediately back into our world of foolish talk, inconsequential conversation, the Holy Spirit quickly departs from us. And we are left with a hardened heart, a seared heart. This will bring death to us. It will not bring life. When you and your private devotions in the morning enter into the presence of God, And you may weep as you read scriptures. But then you're jolted, oh, I've got to get on the road. And you get in the car and you turn on the foolishness of the radio. And suddenly, all that happened with you in the prayer closet with the Holy Spirit dissipates, is gone. And now you're a normal American again. You're a consumer American You're the producer American. You're no longer the Christian bowing humbly before God in the prayer closet. You're now on your way to your business. And you might have asked Jesus if he would go with you that day, but Jesus is really not interested in going with you anywhere. He's interested in you going with him somewhere. Jesus is not a rabbit foot that you carry in your pocket and rub for good luck. He's not cotton candy that you get in the morning and it satisfies some sweet desire in your flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. 
He's the real deal. So our words either bring us life or they bring us death. It's all in the word. Sometimes when I have prayed, Jesus will say to me, enough. I know what he's saying. He's saying, I got it already. Please, you're wearing me out with your words. Did you know you can wear God out with your words? It's not as though you need to say ten times to Jesus. He gets it the first time. The question is, do you get it the first time? When we come casually into the presence of God and treat him like a non-human, and we try to convince him to give us what we want, and wear him out with our foolishness. He withdraws from us, and we lose his presence. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, verse 29, comes a very serious, a very serious issue. Now, the context is that they are accusing Jesus of being able to cast demons out by the power of demons. In verse 29, Jesus begins, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. So Jesus is letting us know that Satan has stolen from us. Has he stolen anything from you? How do you get back what he has stolen from you? You have to first bind him. How do you bind him? With righteousness? with doing what the Lord has said for you to do, and with honest words, worthy words. Jesus begins to answer this in verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. So there is no neutral place in this work of the gospel with Jesus. You are either with Jesus or you are against him. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. 
He's simply saying, look, if you grieve the Spirit of God away from you, you cannot be saved. If you grieve the Holy Spirit by your words, he's saying it is possible to speak against the Holy Spirit in such a way that you will close off the possibility of your salvation. That's how serious our words are. He continues, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Our words are the most eloquent description of the inner condition of our heart. Your words do not lie. They reveal either the righteousness or the wickedness of your heart. They will express the shallowness of your heart. If you leave this place today and immediately go into trivial, foolish, coarse joking, you are revealing the true condition of your heart. Some have said to me, Pastor, how do I know how I stand with God? Listen to yourself. Now, I have to tell you, I have a very difficult time listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Because that means listening to me. I don't like to listen to me. I'm happy to listen to you, but don't ask me to listen to me. But we are compelled by the Spirit to listen to ourselves. Because what we are saying is the indicator of the condition of our heart. You brood of vipers. Woo, Jesus is now getting right down there. He's saying, you snakes, you you dirt eaters. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. By our words, the condition of our heart is revealed. When anger and bitterness rise up in our hearts and slash out against another person, we are revealing the inner heart and the bitterness and the anger of our inner heart. When you condemn another person, you are truly speaking about yourself and not them. 
when judgments come out of your mouth against another person, before God, you are speaking judgments against yourself. It is our words that carry the meaning of our soul. Without words, we don't communicate very well. You know the hottest new thing in our culture. They're called silent centers. And even couples are invited to go on silent dates where they go to a place and have dinner together, but it is in total silence. There's no music playing. There's no conversation and you're not allowed to speak with the person you're having dinner with. Everything is totally silent. And then when the dinner is completed, everyone is invited. Now, would you share with your partner what you were feeling and what you were thinking as you were eating with them? It's a secular attempt to try to get us to stop motor-mouthing long enough to get real about the words that flow out of our heart and to say to us, your words may be blocking intimacy with the person you say you care about. I invite you to try this. Invite a friend or a loved one to go for a walk with you and have them make a commitment before you go on the walk that you won't say one word to each other on the walk. That you'll walk in silence. You can hold hands. You can make any expression you want to make, but don't talk to each other for at least a period of an hour. And then after the hour, sit down and look at each other and ask the question, what would I like to share with you out of my hour of silence? Maybe we need to have a silent sermon. See, we have been able to speak our words and like feathers they go everywhere and they cannot be collected after we've blown them around everyone. Words have meaning. You can pierce a person's heart with your words. You can cause a person to feel condemned and unworthy by your words. I was astonished this last week. I helped one of our members by manning the candy table for her as all of the little kids came flowing by by the thousands over by Wegmans at their annual Halloween event. A mother would come to the table, and there was a line, like, out the door. 
waiting on just our table. The mother would come up and say, choose something, choose something, choose something. And I'd say, no, no, relax. Honey, what would you like? Pick anything you want. Oh. And Mama's saying, come on, choose now. We got to hurry. Well, why do you have to hurry? What's the rush? Why jam this child out of your own insecurity? Why not let this be fun? Have you ever heard of that concept, Mama? And so to more than one Mama, I reached out. I kept one bag that I bought special, filled with big candy bars. And the Mamas that were pushing their children, I would say, does Mama need some care tonight? Here's a candy bar to eat while your child chooses what they would like. (laughs) And that Mama just melted. Somebody was caring about mama. Do you understand? Our interactions one with another are either like knives cutting our hearts or they are words that soften us and tell us we're cared about. It was also interesting to watch as mama would come up and say, that one, get the butterfingers. The child would look up at her and say, but I don't like the butterfingers. Choose the butterfingers. <laughs> and I'd say, mama, are you planning on eating those butterfingers? <laughs> yes. Here, mama, have a butterfingers. Now, Sweetheart, what would you like to choose? (laughs) Or the one little boy dressed as a ninja turtle, swaggering, came up to the table. And I said, son, choose one. He looked me straight in the eye. He looked at the table and he grabbed a handful as big as he could grab and put it in his basket. I said to him, do you feel better now? And he knew he was had. And he walked away with mama dragging him saying, why'd you take all of those? I saw so much gospel going on at the candy table. You see, the words we speak, we don't speak when pastor's around. We speak them when we're going after the candy of our life. We speak them as we're going to our jobs. We speak them as we're going with one another when the program's over and now we're free. We're like school kids. We're released and now we can talk about whatever we want to jabber about not recognizing we're called to stay in the presence of God. He says, I tell you 
that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And if you go to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God. I wonder what would have happened on the first day of creation if God had said, you know, I don't know. Let there be light. Let there be a tree over here. Let there, let there be, let there. What if God had been a motor mouth on the day of creation? What would have happened? The world would have been in utter chaos. If you simply open your mouth and speak the first thing that comes to your mind, your life will be in chaos. And you will be exposing the confusion and the darkness of your heart because your words land on somebody. And they have meaning. And that person is either going to be entertained and turned away from Jesus, or they are going to be drawn to Jesus. They are either going to know that they are loved, or they're going to know that they are judged. They're going to know you have time for them, or you're pushing them and saying, I don't have time for you. Get out of my way. Do this. Come on. Let's go. Now tell me, how many of you, as you get ready to come to church, have ever heard somebody say, Come on, we're going to be late. Hurry up. And the fight starts. Isn't it strange that a fight would start on the way to church? Isn't that an oxymoron? He says, as dearly loved children live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, verse 3. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity. Dirty jokes. Foolish talk. Literally, in the Greek, stupid talk. Silly talk. Silly storytelling. Recounting a whole long joke so that everybody will roar with laughter. He's saying, don't do that. Particularly, don't tell stories that describe foolishness. And then it says, and don't use coarse jokes. The repartee, the quick wit, 
that makes everybody laugh. He's saying, don't do it. Does that mean that Jesus is humorless? No, he made the elephant. He made the grasshopper. He made you. He made me. I mean, come on. He made tigers. And then he made my little kitten. God loves to create interesting, entertaining things. But the coarse joking, the fast wit that pokes fun at others, that cuts another down, the joking that has a dirty edge to it. He's saying, don't do it. Because it will draw your heart away from Jesus. He says, these are out of place. But rather, thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person Such a man is an idolater. You know what an idolater is? Someone who worships their wickedness. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. I like the Tyndale translation here. He translates it, stand up from death. Stand up from death, and Christ shall give you light. The first place we have to stand up from death are the words we speak. Some of you are very much controlled by your moods. When you're in a bad mood, you're grouchy. Keep your grouch to yourself and go to Jesus until it's gone. My mama used to say something that was absolutely right, and I'm sure your mama said it to you. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Heard that before? Of course you have. That's an American saying. It's true. Our words either bring healing or they bring brokenness to the people around us. Our words either lift people up and encourage them to walk in righteousness, or our words weigh them down with foolishness that numbs their heart and their mind so that they are not spiritually aware. 
I am many times in the presence of men who only desire is to talk about professional sports or to tell jokes. I used to have a constant stream of foolishness flowing into my computer until I talked with every man who was doing it, and I asked them to please stop, that their jokes did not bring me to Jesus, but instead took my mind away from holy things. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're faced with a very difficult situation. If you are in the habit of speaking about foolish things, trivial things, inconsequential things, it is a habit. And if you don't talk that way, you won't speak at all. You won't know what to say. And you will be uncomfortable. Thank you. Be uncomfortable for a while. Let your words be deliberate. Do not spread them around like tar. Let your words be few until you have words of love, encouragement, edification, until you have words that have weight to them. Don't just talk to hear yourself speak, because nobody else wants to hear you do that. And it will drain the Spirit of God away from you. And especially, don't grumble. Don't tell people how bad it is, how hard life is on you. One man I always get a kick out of asking him, how are you? Because I know his answer. His answer is, I woke up this morning. It's a good day. That's a good answer. Words are like wagons. We fill the wagon with our load of meaning. And it transports that meaning to another person or to ourselves. Neurolinguistics teach us today that words cause the future to take place. We create our future 
by what we are on the inside. And we speak out of that and cause things to happen because that is the focus of our heart. This last week, I drove by a man who was sitting on a brand new BMW bike. And immediately in my mind, my mind said, Wow. I would really like a bike. I would like to go touring in Canada on a bike. Camping. And the Holy Spirit said to me, stop it. I said, thank you, Lord. You know I could do that. And that's not what you've called me to. All of us have these things that come and try to grab a hold of us. And if in our self-talk we begin to walk in that, whether it's for something, whether it's bitterness and anger, that person wronged me and so I rehearse in my mind over and over what I'm going to say to them the next time they say that, our words will create our future. Because our heart will follow our words. Because our words are an expression of our inner heart. It will take deliberate decision on your part to break the habit of foolish conversation. And you will end up being uncomfortable at times because you will have nothing of value to say and you will remember what your pastor said, and you will zip it. I pray. Let the words that flow out of your mouth be words of fellowship in Jesus. Let the words that flow out be words of love and affirmation. Let the words flow and lift up Jesus. Now, I'm not much for sharing songs with you because I'd scare you away by my voice. But I am going to lift up my voice with you in every opportunity and express to you the love Jesus has for you and the love I have for you. This is what God calls us to. At the end of every radio broadcast, I usually say, I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. And I am amazed at the letters I get back saying thank you. And saying, I wait to hear you say that because then I quickly say, and Pastor, I love you. To the radio. (laughs) Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable before you.
Lord, I know the tongue is the most difficult thing in the world to control or bridle. I know we're going to have to take very seriously this issue of the tongue. And we're even going to be uncomfortable. But Lord, help us now to begin revising the words we speak, both in our inner heart and in our mouth. And above all, Jesus, would you speak clearly to us about your love and your compassion for us as you change us into your likeness. Lord, give us the courage to lay down crude and rude words. Give us the courage not to use your name in vain, but to walk holy before you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.